9 a.m. in New York, 4 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 9 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. It was 2012. I was in Bern, Switzerland. I had a tiny baby and an elementary student. Cozy in Switzerland after years of working so hard to integrate and establish myself professionally. And my husband walks in one day and says, hey, I applied for a job abroad. I think it'd be great for us to live and work abroad. And I looked at him and I said, I do work and live abroad. And it put me in a tailspin where we ended up looking at moving our kids to a third culture, not my culture, not his culture, but outside of it. In fact, a place so different that I didn't know what it would be like for my kids. It ended up being West Africa. It could have been Ulaanbaatar and Mongolia as well. I was looking at all these options. And just like any mama who is worried about the future of their kids, I turned to one thing, and it was the third culture kids book, Growing Up Among Worlds, from David C. Pollock, Ruth on Rankin, and now Michael Pollock. I dove in and I scrambled through the pages looking for answers, whether it would be okay for me to change my cross-cultural kids into third cultural kids. Did I know what I was getting into? Did I have what it took? Are there strategies I can use to make it work? Well, fast forward to now, you know the answer. That resource helped me say yes. And since then, I haven't looked back. And it is my absolute honor to have the co-author, Ruth Van Rankin, with us today who has played such a huge part of my own story. So Ruth, thank you for coming to Expat Happy Hour today. Thanks for having me, Sunday. I'm honored to be here, and it is always a joy to find out that all those years in my basement made a difference for somebody. Thanks. <laughs> so I should probably say Dr. Ruth Van Rankin because she just received an honorary degree, a, a doctor of letters for her lifelong and visionary advocacy for third culture kids. And that's not the only thing that we're celebrating, right? We're celebrating that families in global transition just won a really exciting award. Relocate Global had the Think Relocate Awards 2019, I believe just last night. And Families in Global Transition came out on top for excellence in employee and family support. So there's a lot to celebrate right now. You are like the grandmother of this, um, of this organization, and now it's winning awards and gaining recognition globally. So that's really exciting. And I want to just share something. Um, you know, most of the people, when they hear your name, they know that you are, uh, you know, a co-author of what many people call, you know, the Bible of TCKs. And it's, that is where I think people associate your name. But one of the things I've learned about you, um, watching you connect at Families in Global Transition in 2018, and also in 2019 in Bangkok this year, is that you are amazing at connecting with others. And I don't know if people have said this to you before, Ruth, but you give people the feeling like you're the only one in the room when they talk to you. Is that something ever, someone has ever said to you before? Well, maybe not exactly in that way, but the issue is that people are important to me. I believe strongly that this topic connects us at some of our most basic levels of our humanity, the places where we all need relationships. We all need a sense of belonging. We all need to know somebody cares about our story. We all need to know we're understood. And as we kind of live these mobile lifestyles, so often we lose the people that know our history. 
And so in traditional communities, people kind of knew mm-hmm. who everybody was. They all knew where the grocery stores were, and you didn't really have to explain too much about yourself. And when we live internationally and globally mobile, we get to a new place and nobody knows our history. Nobody can perhaps, we think, relate to that. But that's the magic of this experience is that because as humans we connect in these places and we feel it when we move, we feel it when we don't have friends, we feel it when we worry about our kids. We don't even have to explain it to each other just like people might not have had to explain themselves in the old days in a more monocultural experience, because we are sharing an experience, even if we're not sharing the geographical space. And so it matters that we let each other know we understand. And to me, every story is always interesting. And it's important because it's a human and these places of connection are there every time. I love mm-hmm. it. Well, it's evident when when you speak with you. It's it's really, um, it. It, you make people feel very special and that their story matters. So do you mind sharing with our audience more of your story? Like, how did you get to do this? Well, that's kind of the miracle that even to get this honor and award, it really comes out of my story. It doesn't come out of my formal training. I was born and raised in Nigeria. My parents were teachers who worked with a mission group there. They started a school, but my father had been born and raised in what was then Persia. His father had started a hospital there, and so I grew up as the child of a third culture kid before we had language. But I think of all of the wisdom my father gave me from his experience, like the adage to unpack your bag and plant your trees no matter where you go, because if you don't, you'll never live. And just things like that. Hmm. Unpack your bag and plant your trees. What does it mean to plant your trees? Well, it can mean that physically. What he was saying to me was, he said, a lot of times people who are living this way mentally and physically never unpack their bags and mentally and physically never plant their trees. So physically, he planted trees. And he said, don't be afraid to plant them. You can't eat from them. Somebody will one day. Hmm. And so it was kind of cool because he planted orange trees and all kinds of trees around our house in Nigeria. And years later, when I went back to visit and went back to see this house that was such a mansion when I was a child and was so tiny now, I couldn't believe it. Um, But the trees were there and they had grown and the fruit was there. And I thought, you're right, Dad. The fruit has lasted all this time, even if you're gone. So those kind of things, um, you know, were put in me early on. And even his lesson, he would say, don't ever ask somebody from another culture to do something that you wouldn't do yourself because people of all cultures and races are valuable. So that those were early lessons that I grew up with. Then uh, when I was 13, yeah, he was a wise man. And I do remember one other wow. thing he said once. He said, you know, wise I never man. quite fit in any <laughs> And I said, Dad, everybody loves you. I mean, he was a leader. He said, yeah, but when I'm in these meetings, I can see the uh, organization side and I can see the Nigerian side when they're trying to come together and both sides want me to be on their side. And so everybody's mad at me. And I thought, oh, later I thought that was a cultural bridge. But anyway, those were the things of my childhood. Um, I didn't know I would. So when I came mm-hmm. to the age of 13, you want to say something? Well, okay. Well, it is a great gift. Uh, that I didn't no, appreciate I'm at the time. I just thought it in was awe. <laughs> But when I came to the States at age 13, I had loved my life in Kano. I had mm-hmm. thought I was normal. My peers were like me. Um, I loved my trees. I loved Parmitan. I loved soccer. I loved all these things. I'd had what I would have considered a good life. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I always knew I was an American, so I wouldn't be here forever, and that was okay, too. That was kind of part of the way we did life. So I expected when I went back to the United States that, of course, I would be American uh, since I was by passport. And when I 
hit that wonderful eighth grade year, it was the worst year of my life. I couldn't believe how out of it I felt. Um, it seemed like I just didn't know anything everybody else knew. Mm-hmm. At age 13, if you're not in the group, you're kind of mocked. It's not a good year for anybody. And so that feeling of what's the matter with me? What happened? When people first asked me where right. I was from, I would say Nigeria. Well, then they'd laugh and say, well, that's kind of silly. And so um, that was a tough year, and I decided that I didn't know what to do with my African self. And so I would just ignore her. And I started high school and didn't tell anybody I'd ever lived any place but Chicago. My parents went back to Nigeria for four years, Mm -hmm. so I didn't see them then. But a great gift of my life was living with my grandmother and my aunt so I could stay in my same school. I could stay in my same church community with my friends. And, you know, I, I had stability except for my parents being gone and um so i really thought it was no problem that i had no issues um you know i was happy i still have friends from high school but then it was later on that i began to have to think about what some of these things were Mm -hmm. and the impact in my life you know when you talk i find it so interesting because this was decades ago and it's, this could be a story today of many children who are living outside of their parents' passport cultures. It's like, you know, the fish who, who's swimming in water doesn't name the water. You were there in Nigeria living your life and you were cognitively aware that you were, you know, you know air quotes, American. And then it hit you when you first got there. Is that what drove you to share the story of third culture kids to spread the word, what a third culture kid is, so other people were prepared for it? Ultimately, it was. But let me go back one minute to something that's happened since I last saw you at the FIGT in Bangkok. Last week, I got this paper from a classmate of mine way back in nursing school. After high school, I went on to nursing and ultimately uh, we went back to Africa, which I'll tell you in a minute. But she wrote me this, sent me this paper that was written in 1940 by Rosamond Frame, who turned out to have been a cousin of my father. And she wrote about the difficulties kids who had grown up in China had when they came back to the States. And it could have been the third culture profile in a little bit older language. It was unbelievable how precisely it was on market. So um, you're right. This has been going on a long time, but we didn't have language. I didn't have language. So I thought, like many people, you know, what's my problem? The issue is me. I don't, I'm stupid. I can't figure it out. You know, so you keep going. Mm -hmm. Ultimately... Uh, When my husband, we married and he was in medical Mm -hmm. school, we had a chance to go back during his um, schooling to do an elective overseas. We tried to go to Nigeria because my parents were still there. I was pregnant, so I figured I'd have my baby by my mother. And Nigeria wouldn't give us visas because there had been the Biafran War, and for whatever reason, they decided not to give it. Now, that was a shock because Nigeria was my sense of home in my African self. So we went to Liberia and ultimately we went back to Liberia. And it was during, it was when I came back from Liberia that I had the first great depression of my life. I didn't understand it. We moved to a new city. We moved to St. Louis so David could do his internship. He was gone every other night, some of the time. And I had a new baby so I couldn't stay busy like I've always been. And I hit depression. Did you ever have something like that? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, when I, when I first moved to Switzerland, I had moments uh, in the fetal position crying my eyes out on a Friday night, wondering if it was the biggest mistake in my life. <laughs> um, okay. So it, what I'm thinking of is just being a mother to a newborn and having your partner away 
is enough um, to put someone in a tailspin and then add that those big questions about living abroad and what's my identity is would put anybody off their feet. Right. I think probably everybody has these times where you have this perfect storm. And so we were in a new town. Long distance calls were very expensive then. We didn't have Skype and all the rest. And so I found this person mm-hmm. that I thought of as being very capable and spiritual and competent and, you know, everything. Um, somewhere in the basement. And I had no idea. Looking back, I know what had happened is the Africa me, mm-hmm. that curtain I had put down on that part of my life had been raised because when I went back to Africa, I thought, oh my goodness, I forgot the oranges were green. I forgot people carry kids on their back, you know, all the things that were old. And I didn't know what to do with that. So, um, Anyway, those were not good years in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually, like everybody, you sort of mm-hmm. come to some terms and, and make do. But then we moved. David was in the Navy, and things got better, and I thought everything was fine. And we went back to Africa. By then, I had three kids. And I loved being in Africa. I loved Liberia. I loved my life there. I loved raising my kids there. So everything was good again. Then, of course, there were some political issues, and long story short, we realized um, maybe we needed to take at least a year off and see where things were going. And my mother-in-law invited our oldest daughter to come back to the States and start high school with them so that she wouldn't have to change in a year. Mentally, that made sense. But emotionally, I went back to that depressed person who had been there Right. The, it's like the wounds are coming back. You know, when I'm listening to you, I, I hear, I hear the, um, you said these are not good years. And I think back on my own story of the not good years. You know, I say that they were always good and never easy. Um, I'm so grateful for that struggle now in hindsight, because if it had been easy, I don't think I could serve people because I get it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in my guts, I get how hard that is. And I'm, you know, you and I have had a conversation offline about how you sometimes go through hardship to be prepared for what's next. And I hear that was the, unfortunately, the hard preparation that you went through to really understand with your whole body how challenging this can be if you're not supported in the right way. Well, I think the other point is we need language. I didn't have language for my story. And so what happened was I finally thought, okay, I have a process that I call listening to life. When I'm having a reaction to something that is excessive to the event or what's going on, then I stop and say, what else is it? It's something more than this. What does it connect to? So I'm having this reaction mm-hmm. to my daughter leaving, which is mentally I can work it out. It's just a few months, no big deal. And it was a big deal. So that was when I started to think, mm-hmm. okay, what is this? And why does this keep popping up in my life? And that took me back to thinking it must have to do with my own separation. I went to boarding school at six. And so one night I decided to start journaling and I started writing to my parents as if I was the six-year-old and suddenly I was the six-year-old and a huge wave of emotion of the six-year-old just completely overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And so this adult me is trying Mm -hmm. to find words for the child me and I could feel my stomach and, you know, all the things I'd done. So that became a process. And in the middle of that, two things happened. My mother sent me an article she'd seen about third culture kids. Never heard of the term, had no idea what they were. And I thought, oh, that might be me. Hmm. And then I got also a survey to do for our children on their educational needs and whatever. And there was going to be this conference at this international conference on missionary kids in the Philippines. And Dave Pollock was sponsoring that. And I didn't know him, but 
and sent back the survey. And then I wrote, I said, what are you doing for the adults? I'm 39. Nobody ever wants to re-entry seminar mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And um, maybe I'm the only one, but if you want to know what one person's trying to figure out, I'll send you what I'm writing. Because I wasn't going to you know, share it. It was just my journaling. So that's really what started the whole pilgrimage here. I yep. found out I had a name. I went to that conference wow. and I realized, oh my goodness, there's really um, a big deal out here. There's, you know. But I also was naming. Well, and it legitimizes your It experience. legitimized it, but also. Go ahead. Right. Like you. Well, you were saying, you know, I, it's my problem. I'm doing something wrong. It's just me, right? You, you, if you can't look outward and find a name for it, you look inward. And I think the other really big thing for me was as a nurse, I had gone to a conference by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross when she was first doing her work on the stages of grief that she called on death and dying. And I kind of internalized it, so I wasn't thinking about it mm-hmm. consciously. But as I began to journal, I touched the grief that I had never allowed myself to feel before. Because if you're a six-year-old, you can only try and survive. Mm-hmm. So you have to push that away. Yeah. And yeah. all these places of loss yeah. that yeah. I had never acknowledged or seen because the losses were hidden. Uh, until I was journaling, I never realized my world died the day I left Nigeria because we took an airplane ride and I lost everything that was my world. But I didn't know that then. I just thought I was going to America. Oh, I just want to jump in here. When you share that story, I've got hair that's standing up on my arm um, because I'm thinking back to we were in Burkina Faso in um, like between 2013 and 2016. So my son, my youngest was one and he turned four right when we left. And um, we left suddenly. We had about 10 days until we departed. There was, you know, a series of things that happened and then a terrorist attack. And we chose to um, live separately. We were in Switzerland. with I was in Switzerland with the kids and my husband was in Burkina Faso. And it went fast. I solo parented for, I don't know, 10 months in Switzerland. My husband was in Burkina and then we came to South Africa um, af- right after that. So we were driving the car and my, what, five or six-year-old then, um, we were coming back from a party and out of nowhere, Ruth, my son goes, I miss Wagadugu. Right. So it was like, here's my son who I, you know, I'm an intercultural transition specialist. I'm doing all the things I'm creating the bridge we're doing the goodbyes, the hellos, all the things that I know we should do. And out of nowhere, my son sees something and is pulling grief from his heart. And this has happened other times where, you know, I'm reading a story and he's lying next to bed and he goes, I miss Louise. That was the nanny that we, the Nunu that we had when we were there. And this idea of, you know, touching grief. How do we help our kids touch grief when they're six and seven and not when they're 39 so that the grief can, can move? Well, I think the first thing is recognizing it because one of the problems that we have yeah. in our wonderful way of life is that it is a wonderful experience at so many levels. And I think I always felt that if I yeah. talked about grief, first, I didn't even recognize it. But if I would have, I was negating the good instead of affirming the good. The only right. reason I missed it was because I liked it and I loved Nigeria. So that's the first thing. Parents should not be afraid and we shouldn't be afraid for ourselves of the grief word because it's actually an affirmation but i think the other thing that i learned in doing that was the difference between comfort and encouragement when i sent Mm, yeah when i sent the letter to dave pollock saying you know maybe i'm the only one and so forth he wrote me back and he said no you're not the only one and he sent me a letter from a counselor, Sharon Wilmer, who had worked a lot with TCKs. He had asked her what were the issues she saw. And she said the first one was a lack of comfort. And when I saw that, I just started to cry because I thought I didn't even know what I was actually writing about when I was doing my journaling. And I thought, that's it. I was encouraged Mm -hmm. to death. I just think about, oh, it's 
we'll be fine. Mm. Uh, we're going to do this and you know, all the happy, happy things. But nobody said it's okay. Right. Right. And you know what I hear? I see, I have this metaphor I'm working on in my head right now about grief and uh, our children's transitions. As a parent, I want it to be a faucet, right? Like your grief is on and I want to help you turn it off because I'm really uncomfortable when I know you're in pain, right? So we treat grief like a faucet that we turn on and off. And even if we're doing a good job in transition, we're like, okay, now it's time for grieving on. Okay, now let's move on off, right? We we really, we do treat it like that. And I've, I don't think I'm the only one. And and I think another way that we need to start thinking about it is like we are midwives of grief, where in pregnancy, sorry, the labor has started. Like <laughs> there's something bigger happening here and you need to stick with it until you've birthed the grief. And I feel like as parents, we want to turn it on and off instead of stick with it and be midwives of our kids' grief. Tell me where I'm wrong. No, 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 you're not wrong at all. Um, I think one of the other issues is we're in grief ourselves. And when we were leaving Liberia, it almost killed me because I didn't know if we'd be back. My kids are in grief. Um, I'm just starting to even be aware of the topic. And yeah. when my daughter is crying in the airplane because right. she's left her best friend on the other side of the glass in the airport and won't put on her seatbelt. I realize it's embarrassing, but it's also terribly painful to me because am I killing my child? I mean, and it's killing me. So you want to shape up, ship out. But I thought, okay, let's stop here. Right. And I said, okay, you have to put your seatbelt on, but you can keep crying. And she kept crying all the way through Europe every night. I thought, oh my goodness. Is this going to work? Maybe we just need to shape it up. And I realized why people want it because yeah. it's terrible as a parent to watch your child yeah. suffer. But finally, she kind of quit. More than a year later, I thought she was doing fine. And she yeah. just said, Mom, I really miss Liberia. And I wanted to explain to her she was doing great and everything was fine. And I thought, okay, let's go back. Mm-hmm. How do we comfort, not encourage? Uh, encouragement is is important later, but first in the grief, we have to sit and validate. So I said, okay, well, how do you feel about being here now? And she said, well, I really like it here and I really miss there. And I thought that's the paradox. We have to live in paradox in this situation, but also Mm -hmm. that everybody in the family can be in a different stage of grief. And so some are in denial, some can be in anger some can be in depression some can be you know adjusting and doing fine and so that's another thing that is complicating is that we don't all do it like you said on a smooth trajectory uh we don't all do it at the same time now we're going to do grief and so we need to give each other some space and some um love and some understanding and especially when it comes out in anger because it can come out in anger towards you if you're the parent mm-hmm. or you as the parent can be angry at your child, you know. And so it's a complicated process. But that was what I began to discover in doing my journaling, that I had this mountain of grief I had never, ever dealt with. And it had come out in anxiety. It had come out in anger. It had come out in depression right? instead of in grief. And I wanted to bring up another G word, right? We talked about grief and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up guilt. I think that when we're watching our kids suffer, when we move them, I mean, I've been there. I've watched my nine-year-old tearfully hug, you know, his best friend and they grip onto each other and my heart breaks in pieces. I know that when we're, when, when we're grieving, when they're grieving, it is so easy for a parent to feel guilty for their grief and feel like we're the ones who are hurting our kids by uh, exposing them to these kind of transitions, right? So I feel like the other G word I think we need to talk about is guilt because when you feel guilty, you feel responsible. And then I also think that some families make snap decisions based on that of, okay, forget it. This life is too hard. Boom, I'm gone right? And they, they bail out on whatever lives that they've been living, or they compensate 
with other things to make up for the guilt. So maybe even now today they give their kids more technology. Oh, he misses his friend. I'll let him be on the iPad all day. Or he's, he's grieving. So, and I feel bad about that. So I'm going to let him behave badly or do you know what I mean? I think guilt is a, is a thing that comes in. That's a really important word and concept mm-hmm. to remind ourselves about because I think we've all been there. I know we've all been there with this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I remember one mm-hmm. time we were back in the States and visiting some friends and she couldn't visit at her house because kids had swimming lessons. And so we went with her and she said, oh, they could go in the pool with my kids and that'll be fine. Well, the instructor made my kids get out because they didn't swim well enough. And I sat on the edge of the pool and I just cried because I never learned to swim. And so that was always a shame in my life that when I came back, I mean, we hadn't had swimming pools. So, you know, you go to gym class and you wear this terrible outfit that speaks that you can't go in the deep water because you, you know, you're an idiot. That's how I felt. So it hit a particular button, but it also hit that deeper Mm -hmm. sense of, am I destroying my children's lives? Um, They're missing all these opportunities and going and so forth. Somewhere in the moment, I came to some sort of sense. And I thought, well, no child gets to do everything in this world. Um, Nobody can do all this. And these kids in the pool have not been to London and they haven't been to Paris and they haven't been to Holland and they haven't been to these places. I mean, we have different experiences that they have that other people don't. And the same thing with loss. I have seen so many families that never move and their losses in their life, whether sometimes it's from divorce, sometimes it's from accidents, sometimes from disease, you know, there's things that happen in life and um, you can't avoid that. You can learn how right? to process it. And one of the gifts I hope we have is learning how to process grief for more than just physical mm-hmm. transitions when we've learned it in this way. But you're right. The guilt the guilt is is uh, real for all of us at various points. And when we talk about this, what I, what's striking me is how important it is for us to do our own work. For me, I, my philosophy is for me to show up as a good parent, I need to show up for myself. I need to take care of my health. I need to do my own um calling myself on my crap that comes from my head that needs to go away. Like I need to do my own work so that I can show up for my kids better. And I know that in transition, I know that in grief, in abrupt transitions, we're so focused on our kids and we forget that the key is actually looking and taking care of ourselves so that we have much more power um, with our kids. And I just, you get, it's easy to get swept up. I think it's also easy to put our grief on the kids. And so instead of mm. acknowledging what we're doing, it's a transferring in a way. It's a displaced kind of a grief. And so we mm-hmm. uh, sort it out through them instead of sorting it out for ourselves where we need to. So I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> yep. I totally, it's exactly what we do. So I'm curious, you have spoken to parents and kids around the world with every sort of composition of a traditional TCK where the person spent most of their, you know, early adult years outside of their parents' passport country. You've also talked to CCKs, so cross-cultural kids. What do you think is on the minds of the parents most? That's a good question. I think for some the worry, like you say, am I doing something well? For others, the almost denial that this is any different than how I grew up. And so, you know, we're not even thinking about it. And then there's all kinds of parents that are in the middle who really understand there's terrific gifts that they're offering their children. Very few third culture kids that I know of regret their life when they are in their adulthood and they want to know how to do it well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I want to pause there because I am a monocultural kid. I grew up, you know, born and raised in North Dakota. I'm raising third culture kids. So Ruth Van Rank had just said she doesn't know many third culture kids who regret growing up as a third culture kid. I'm just going to say that for every single monocultural parent, (laughs) because every time I sit at a table with a third culture, adult third culture kid, and they tell me how much their life, it's like balm for my soul. Like, yes, <laughs> I, I, in my body, this feels like the right thing to do. And now I have confirmation. So I just wanted to, to put that out there for those who are doing it like me, who didn't grow up with models like this, who didn't have this as their childhood. This is evidence right here that there are gifts in our global lives, even though there are challenges that, that help us grow in, in, in ways that are stretching, but it's worth it. So I just wanted to just make sure everybody heard that because it's important for us monocultural adults who are raising third culture kids. Well, you can say it all you want. And I think even the one or two that maybe have expressed regrets, it's much more tied in with the complications maybe in their family. So I do want to also make the point that third culture kids, first of all, they're kids. All right. They want what every kid wants. They want parents mm-hmm. who love them. They want the sense of security. And that can be given on the move. And parents who give that and yes. build those traditions that go with us and build that sense of this is who we are and we can do this in different places, there is that core stability that can come within that child so they can also then uh, receive the different gifts. But one of the things that I do see for some parents, particularly those maybe from monocultural backgrounds, I don't know, is when the child does not relate in their sense of identity to the parent's passport culture or where the parent came from, the parent can be kind of surprised. Mm -hmm. Including my own mother. My father Mm -hmm. wasn't, but my mother was shocked when I said sometime that I didn't necessarily feel I was from Chicago. And, And she said, and why? She said, well, I am. Mm-hmm. I said, I know, but that's not where I grew up. So particularly if you're from a very strong monocultural kind of a community uh, where all the generations have been doing it one way, and then you take your child around the world and they don't have that same sense of national identity that you might um, be kind. Don't think that you failed. Don't think that you've uh, you know, you can let right. the child be many. I think that's what is important. Also, um, Daniela Tomer was saying at the FIGP conference how in her family, each of the children have a different sense of national identity almost because of the different places and ages where they've been. And so I think as parents, we don't have to be intimidated or scared. Yep. Your child is also, I am an American, even though I didn't feel as American as some other people. But I also have a strong connection to my international self and to um, my African self. And just we can we can have a bigger, maybe more non-traditional way of finding our sense of identity. And that, I think, is what parents can offer to their kids is the permission to start with who they are human beings, know that they're they can relate to others because of this place of being relational and emotional and those things. And they can also be unique because every person's unique. So how you express that with different cultures can come out. But also we really do belong to a large group. We belong to a community that may not be geographically in one place, but experientially we have a lot of people we can relate to. And that gives me the sense of unity that then gives me uh, confidence to go people of other communities and learn from them and makes life really interesting. And that's what I, when I think about that, it, when, you know, being a monocultural kid before I even moved abroad with my kids, um, I remember I made chocolate chip cookies for my, my eldest. And he, at this point was speaking better Swiss German than English. And I, I thought, okay, now I get to introduce this cultural 
icon to my son. And I, you know, I don't, I'm not a, very domestic at all. So I actually was in the kitchen and I was baking. I was super proud of myself. And I make these chocolate chip cookies that my friends brought in, you know, chocolate chips from abroad. And it was a very sacred thing. And I gave him the cookie and he takes a bite and he goes, Nitgan, which is in Swiss German. I don't like it. <laughs> And oh, in that moment, I, I felt rejected. It was like rejecting mm-hmm. me. And what, and I, you know, I've done the work on that. When I think about identity, when you look at in the book of the Third Culture uh, Kid book and you see the identity mirrors, I've learned over the years that our kids are forming identity through their community, through places, and through family. It, their identity doesn't have to overlap completely with me, but there are going to be some mirrors where we are connected, right? right? So instead of you need to be like me, it's like, where are we connected in our identities? And that helps, I think, for people who are monocultural or very traditional and want to preserve their, their traditional culture. That helps to know that you haven't, because there's not 100% overlap doesn't mean there isn't deep connection point. That's a super and new thought for me. So thank you. I'll think about that. I really like that. I, well, I'm glad that's, that's that is a, a compliment uh, to hear from you, but that's how I see it. Like where, where are we overlapping and we get to overlap on place. We get to overlap on family, but maybe on language or maybe the way our national identity doesn't overlap, but there are some places that will inevitably overlap. And that's where we have to take, um, solace that that's where we connect. So, um, so I'm really curious if you could shout something. We're developing developing that whole concept of the mirrors and the anchors and you've added a new piece right now. So thank you. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I'll say more later. We can brainstorm on this more afterwards. You heard it here folks. Uh, (laughs) So, um, the other question I have for you is, you have so much wisdom. You've spoken to so many people. And as I said at the beginning of our podcast, you're so present for each and every person's story. There's this wisdom that you have inside. What would you like to share with every parent who is either currently living abroad or thinking about it? What, what sort of gift do you want to place in their heart that they can know for sure? Don't be afraid. Hmm. Yeah. And realize your child is not you. So that's why you have to listen to them too. If I had one thing I wish is that I had understood better that my children had different gifts than me. And Mm -hmm. I have a daughter who's a list maker and I'm not a list maker. And she tells me now it was always a little confusing Mm -hmm. because she never knew what was going on in our house. And I thought that was just the fun of it. And so um, <laughs> you know, the older my kids have grown, the more I realize how individual they are. And so you can't even make the TCK cookie cutter for them. Okay. We have these principles, but nobody does the story the same way. So it's still back to basic parenting. Who's your child? How do they fit? Mm-hmm. Some parents, I know one family, they were marvelous they had a child who had um, a learning disability and they realized that child could not make these kind of international moves and so they localized for some years till he could be in a school where he could get help and then they took off again and people say to me well I can't you know do this because of my job well they took a sacrifice in their job but they knew that child couldn't fit even in the gift part of this because he it was too stressful so they made a choice that was good for him he's successful now as an adult they got to travel again and i i give so much respect because they paid attention to who their kid was other kids you know just fly and they can go anywhere and they they love it so we don't want to compare our children but we want attention and find Mm -hmm. out within the dynamics of each of our families how do we make this beautiful thing called family work and how do we make the decisions that um, are good for everybody as best we can. And sometimes decisions are out of our control. Like you said, you're in a terrorist situation, okay. Or something, then how do we make the best then? But 
I guess the biggest thing I would say is enjoy the journey. That's what I'd like to say. Enjoy the journey. It's really rich. It's filled with yeah. so much good. Your kids are learning skill sets they don't even know yet about um, intercultural communication and and move towards wherever you live. That's what I think my dad meant about unpack your bag, plant your trees. Live fully where you are instead of waiting for the next thing. Learn about that culture. Learn the language if you can. Those are the gifts you give your kids. So enjoy the journey. That's what I guess I would Totally. And it makes me think about um, what we're creating in our family. We're creating children who are comfortable connecting and going towards people who might seem different, but are able to find commonalities. And that is creating kids who are super prepared for this global world that we have. You know, one thing you said uh, in Bangkok was that this is all a great experiment. We've never, you know, we haven't had time to see what happens when we take cross-cultural kids and throw them into a third culture environment and everybody gets all mixed up and we move around the world and, you know, anywhere from missionaries to corporate to foreign service to international school teachers, all of everybody, right? All of that mixed up together. Um, What do you think about this experiment? Where do you think we're heading? Because we're also, we're in this weird moment of globalization and polarization. What role do you think the TCKs have in the future? Well, I think, I think when we think about the larger cohort, we're talking also about the immigrants, we're talking about refugees, we're talking about children who now go to school in different cultures than when they go home. So that's part of the whole dynamic. Mm-hmm. For me, I believe that the gift of my life is enjoying people from different cultures, not being afraid of them. And surely that is a message that is needed in our world, that that person who may have a very different story than you, who may have a very different look than you, is still a person at their core. They also want respect. They want to be known. They want relationship. And I don't have to be afraid to move toward them, to hear their story. I want to know their story because in that, their humanity also becomes evident. And I just think that those of us who've had the privilege, and it is a privilege to grow up among the differences and yet connect at this core, hopefully can be voices and advocates for a world that right now doesn't know how to do it because traditionally we've stayed in our separate groups. And in this mixing, many want to pull back to that separate group because they don't know what to do with the quote-unquote other. So it's a, it's a difficult time, but I think it's also a great opportunity to meet and embrace um, fellow human beings who have very different stories, but who at the core uh, share this experience of being human and the needs that we all have and the joy we all have and all these things. So I have hope, but I also watch with caution and think, no, don't go there. Don't go to pulling away. Let's, can we move? (laughs) And I, what I, where I connect with that too, is, um, you know, when we're going through hard times, when we're, you know, it's the end of the school year soon, we're going to have a few hearts broken when friends move away. And when we're going through that tough time to keep that perspective of the big why, like, why is this worth it? What are we gaining as a family that when you know in your heart that you are preparing children who are going to move towards others, be uniquely equipped to connect with people who are different and to see the humanity, to have the shared stories and be voices of the future, that is something that keeps me going. So I know our time is limited. Ruth, this has been such an honor to have you and such a joy. And I hope it's the first of many conversations. If people want to find you, um, the book Third Culture Kids is an obvious place to start. But where else can people find you if they want to learn more about you and the work that you've done? I have a website. I don't keep up too well. It's called crossculturalkid.org. 
but they can also write me at ruthvanrieken at gmail.com if they would like. I'm happy to write people and connect in any way that's helpful or through Facebook um, and Messenger. Those are always that I try to interact with people and it is true that each story matters to me and nobody is um, I don't want anybody to feel alone in this world because there are people who can understand the story and if they're not right where you live in this virtual world we can find each other so thank you for having me Sunday uh, it's been a great privilege to get to know you in person and now online and I love what you're doing and yeah. keep up your great work and to all who are listening enjoy the journey thank you thank you Ruth you can't see me right now but I actually have tears in my eyes um whoo, I hope I don't start crying um you when I met you in Bangkok um I was I didn't expect to be because we had met a year before right so I didn't expect to be um, impacted by you in such a strong way as I was. And one, you have an amazing sense of style. I just got to say, you raise the bar on what it means to look good. You, you've got a great sense of style. Um, but I, I see you, what you did for me personally is you raise the bar for how I want to show up in my community and the impact I want to make. So for that, I want to say thank you. And for everybody in my community, I want them to say thank you to you because you did something. There was a shift in me that happened just by watching you engage with people. So there's that. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for everybody who has been listening to expat happy hour today. I have so many takeaways. I don't even know where to begin, but the things that are sticking out for me right now that I will not forget is about unpacking your bags and planting the trees. Never ask someone to do something that you wouldn't do yourself and that we need to give ourselves and our children language so that they can work through their experience. Watch out for the two G words, grief and guilt. Work on helping our kids work with our loss rather than turning it off like a faucet and comfort before we encourage. The final thing I'm taking away is by really centering all of the work that we do with our kids and our experiences abroad on connecting through people's stories and the common humanity. So thank you for listening to Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Bean. I'm going to leave everyone with a quote that's inspired by something that Ruth has said to me about all of us are on this path to putting the pieces of a puzzle together on global life and how we can make the most of it. And it's from H.E. Lukak. No one can whistle a symphony. It takes a whole